welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. So glad that you are here. We are in Kings, First Kings, uh, in our verse by verse study of the scriptures. And we are at, uh, at the big fight between Elijah on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal. Uh, this is during the time of Ahab the king. He is really a nasty guy. Him and his wicked wife Jezebel. And uh, God raises up this prophet Elijah to get in this guy's face and to call the people to repentance. And there's been this drought for a long time. And finally, uh, Elijah comes and he says, okay, let's all meet up on Mount Carmel. So they get up on Mount Carmel. And Elijah basically lays down the gauntlet. says, look, you guys, talking to the people, he says, come on, you guys, make up a decision. Are you going to serve God or are you not going to serve? How long are you going to be dancing between the two? And they all just sat there like they couldn't make a decision. So he says, I'll tell you what, you take... The prophets of Baal and, and have them build an altar and, and I'm going to build an altar and we'll put a sacrifice on the altar and then we will pray and ask for our God to come by fire and consume the altar and whoever answers by fire then he's the true God. Well the prophets of Baal, there's 450 of these guys plus a bunch of other prophets uh, with them. These guys are basically our version of what we call Satan worship today. I mean this is very dark religion, very weird idolatry thing. And, uh, and when he made that, uh, laid down the gauntlet and said, here's the challenge, they all said, no problem. Why? Because these guys were used to experiencing dramatic power. You know, a lot of times people say, well, they just think that uh, these guys were just good at, at magic and stuff like that. And that may have been true in terms of being able to confuse and deceive people and stuff. But they, make no mistake, these guys knew what it was to tap into the dark arts and to satanic power. You remember when Moses threw down his uh, staff and it turned into a snake? You know, did the false prophets freak out? Well, they do. Same thing. Same thing, of course, then his ate the other ones, <laughs> which is pretty cool, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, a few other things that he did, they also did. Well, God's power just kept coming bigger and bigger, and these guys couldn't keep up anymore, like, wow, what is going on here? But make no mistake, there is a power out there. You don't want to get into this power. It is a destructive power, but it, it allows people to feel powerful and to, uh, when these satanic powers would come, that, uh, you know, people would fear and it gave those in charge and these prophets great esteem. And, and I'm sure they just they weren't the nicest people in the world. I'm sure they didn't use this to minister to people. They did it to scare the willies out of people. So anyway, he says, come on, let's do it. And they said, no problem. So they start coming around the altar and they're boogieing around the altar. Come on, Baal, sack it to me, Baal, come on, Baal. And all day long, and remember, Elijah starts making fun of them. You know, like, yeah, 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 you know. Yell louder, maybe he's going potty, come on. All right, so he's egging him on. And finally, after all day, these guys, and they're cutting themselves and then they're richer, they're bleeding all over the place. These guys were serious, they were messing around. But nothing happened. Why? Well, it's one thing for Satan to show up in a vacuum. When, when the presence of God is around, he runs. Hallelujah. People are, you know, I'm telling you, the beautiful thing about getting in the presence of God makes the devil very uncomfortable. So anyway, then it's Elijah's turn. So the first thing he does is tells these guys to build a big trench around his altar. So they do it. And then he says, pour a whole bunch of buckets of water on there. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. You're wanting fire to show up. Water is probably not a good plan. But... He says, do it. And then we read in verse 34, chapter 18. He tells them, do it again. 
And they did it again. And they said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. Well, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Now, I can't help but think that these other prophets, they were, you know, they were able to do some things. It wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden they were expecting some kind of a spontaneous combustion, you know, within the wood or something like that and kind of just start flaming up and ooh, and then the big fire comes and stuff like that. So I'm sure these guys were probably waiting, okay, now what's going to happen? It's going to be hard because he's got everything soaking with water. How are you going to get this spontaneous combustion? I don't think they were expecting like a yo mama butt kicking fire to show up. Okay? But that's exactly what happens. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell. Boom! And burned up the sacrifice. It burned up the wood. It burned up the rocks. That's one hot tamale. You know what I'm saying? When the rocks are burning, that's hot. Okay? And then the dirt is it, and it licks up all the water in the trench. I mean, this thing just comes down and consumes the whole thing with this just massive pillar of fire. Boom! And just eliminates everything. And then there's just, you know, smoke. It would get my attention. I don't want y'all, but that would like Ho Chi Mama. Wow. And then all of a sudden the people saw this and they fell prostrate and cried, Ho Chi Mama! The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! Oh yeah, now they're praising God. Now suddenly they got religion. You know what I'm saying? God shows up, something happens, oh yeah, yeah, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. You know, a lot of people like this, you know, when they get in trouble, it's amazing how much religion they get. Are you hearing me? You know, somebody, oh oh God, please God, please God, please God. They're real quick to turn to God when there's trouble or something real dramatic happens and all of a sudden they're, oh yeah. Well, these guys see this and now they're worshiping God. Well, it's kind of a neat moment. The people finally, they choose God, they choose the Lord. Things are good, right? Woohoo! So then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. So they grab all these guys. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Just killed a whole lot of them. And then Elijah says to Ahab, now this is fascinating. Who is the really wicked guy here? Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And he grabs all these prophets. He's got total control. Everybody's paying attention. I mean, at this point, they, you know, Elijah should run for president at this point, man. Everybody's like, wow, look what he just did. He slaughters all these guys and then he comes to Ahab. You're coming to Ahab? How come you didn't kill Ahab? I don't think if it's me, we're going to have an Ahab bonfire. You know what I'm saying? Start with the troublemaker. But you have to understand, it's it's interesting because we see this over and over again. There is a degree, often an intense degree. We saw this in David. Remember how much he respected Saul. He wouldn't even dream of attacking his spiritual leader. The one one that got hit anointed. Talk about a a concept of spiritual authority. I mean, we don't have anything like that today. You know, pastors are just idiots. You flip them like boogers. You don't care. You know, they make you mad. Who cares? Totally dis, totally disrespect. You know. Uh, actually, <laughs> actually, you know, I've been 
one of the things I've been trying to teach so much uh, as I travel around the country, you know, this whole idea about family, you know, about women submitting to husbands. You know what I'm saying? And everybody just struggles. What about a woman who should submit? But it says she should submit. So, and I'm saying, come on, the Bible doesn't say a woman has to tolerate any kind of nonsense a man throws at him. Oh, but it says she should submit. It says she should submit. Then I've used every analogy I can think of. Finally, I found one the other day about a week ago that works for me. Because everybody seems to understand it. I said, your pastor. Your pastor. The Bible says you should submit to your pastor, does it not? It says, obey those who have rule over you. Submit to those that are in authority. But if you got a pastor who's acting up, you just put up with his nonsense, everybody gets that. Nah, throw him out. I mean, it's kind of sad that that, that part they get. Nowhere in the Bible does it assume that a church has to put, if I'm out there committing adultery, stealing money, all kinds of stuff, you don't have to keep putting up with my nonsense. Somebody say amen. amen. Finally, they get it. Oh, I get it now. Because the Bible says specifically, you should submit to these men. Well, not when you go over the line. It's the same in a home. A woman is not obligated scripture for to submit to a man who treats her like garbage. Somebody say amen. amen. It's not what the Bible says for crying out loud. And sadly, pastors, you know, it's easy to diss those guys. <laughs> Seriously, it's the one analogy. Diss the pastor. Oh, yeah, I'm into that. Throw him out. No problem there. But these guys, even with some of the most wicked leaders imaginable, would not treat them disrespectfully. Wow. If we could just get a piece of that today. What a difference that might make. Anyway, Elijah says to Ahab. Again, I had a toast to Ahab, but Elijah left him alone. And he tells Ahab, listen, you better go get something to eat. Drink. Run by Mickey D's there or something. Because there is the sound of a heavy rain. In other words, he's warning him, you better get down from this mountain because rain's coming now there has been no rain for what three three and a half years and he says you better get down because i hear a heavy rain anybody else hear that rain you think no look around there's, there's nothing there's not a cloud in the sky it's hot it's parched three years plus it's been like this and now you hear you know maybe you're delusional maybe you're hallucinating you hear what do you mean hear but he was speaking prophetically. See, oftentimes, the Bible says God calls things that are as though, God calls those things that are, are not as though they are. Does that make sense? He says that which is not, he says it is. So this guy says, I hear the sound of rain. Well, there wasn't any rain. Well, he's about to hear rain. It's just the way God, God's way of looking at things is different than ours. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, believe you've already received it, then you'll get it. Huh? You know, I believe it when I receive it, when I get it. Right? But you got to believe it before. Believe it like, I, man, I know I've got it. Have you got it? Yeah, I got it. Have you really got it? Well, no, but I've got it. I mean, this is hard for people to relate to. Faith can be a little confusing. Somebody say amen. Faith can be really confusing. It'll mess with you. And you got to grow in faith. It's not, you know, if you can't figure that out right today, don't panic. You know, you got to grow in your faith, but... It's an interesting thing. God calls those things that are not as though they are. He says, hey, man, you better run because I hear a lot of rain. Well, so Ahab went off to eat and drink. Well, obviously, the guy just called down fire from heaven. I think I'd listen to him, too. So he goes off to eat. Well, Elijah now climbs to the top of, of Mount Carmel. And he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. And he's sitting there with his face between his knees. 
I don't know. Can I even do that? I don't bend that much anymore. <laughs> Face between knees. Pretend I got knees way up here. Oh, good Lord. Need a little less of this. More of that. Face between his knees. And there he is just with his face down. And he says to the servant, go look toward the sea. And the servant goes and he looks. Because he just said he hears the sound of rushing rain, right? So the servant's going, he's looking, he says, comes back, he says, there's nothing there. And seven times, Elijah says, go back and look. Nothing there. Comes back to him. Go look again. Back and forth. Three, four, five, six. Hello. What part of there ain't nothing there do you not get? Elijah didn't even, he was just focused. He's just focused. Go back and look again. And the seventh time, the servant comes back and says, well... There was a cloud out there about the size of a guy's hand out over the sea. Just a little whisper of a nothing. Elijah said, you better go tell Ahab. Hitch up your giddy Jack. You better get out of here before the rain stops you. Now, if I'm the servant, I'm thinking, hello. <laughs> it's just a little cloud way out there. But Ahab knew the minute he saw the cloud, here it comes. Here it comes. So meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, so it just kept getting darker and darker and darker. And, you know, and then the wind rose and a heavy rain came on and Ahab rode up to Jezreel. So he is on his chariot and he is just riding full steep ahead. Wow! He's probably digging the rain. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. You've got to dig the rain, right? But he wanted to get out of that area so he wouldn't get stuck in the mud. He's taken off and I love this next verse the power of the Lord comes on Elijah and he tucks in his cloak into his belt and he runs and he beats Ahab all the way to Jezreel now you gotta check this out okay you're Ahab right you are taken off you have got a chariot you've got the best set of wheels in the land Okay, the whole thing's tricked out, big engine, Ed, you know, I'm talking the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? The wheels, you know, the chrome, everything. It's all happening. High octane, you know, the whole thing. And he's going as fast as he can. Yeehaw! Just going, wow, wow. And he's just burning. And, and remember, he gave him a head start. He's going to get going. So he's taking a wall. He's up there digging around. See a hand. Finally, he goes. Then Ahab's cruising along and he looks in his rearview mirror. <laughs> what is that? He's getting closer. What is that? It's Elijah running like crazy. Wow! And he passes the guy. Whoa! Going like, whoa! Is that cool or what? He'd be, you know, I don't know. 
Spirit of God hits you, man. You can do stuff nobody can do. You know what I'm saying? That's why it's called supernatural. It's not just natural. Ahab was natural with the tricked out car and the carburetors and the, you know, the cool stuff. He's cruising. That's the natural. But when God comes, you start to be supernatural. Starts doing stuff you cannot do. I'll tell you, you let the power of God come into your life. He'll help you do stuff you can't do. Well, Pastor, I just can't do it. Good, you're the perfect person. Why? Because God isn't looking for people who can do it. He's looking for people who will yield to him to empower them to be able to do it. It's called being super natural. Now, by the way, I want you to get back up here this seven, seven times. Seven times going back and forth and back and forth. And he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. Now, a lot of us, first time, really? Nothing? Second time? Really? Nothing? Third time? What? What is for? Okay, forget it. Forget it. I pray. I pray. I pray. <laughs> How long have you been praying? <laughs> I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just sat there with his face between his knees saying, go look again. Go look again. You know, faith is an interesting thing. I've said this to you before. I'll say it to you many times. There is a fine line between faith and stupid. There is. At what point is this guy just being an idiot, waiting around, sending this guy back and forth? You know? You need to allow God the opportunity to show up in your life. The thing is, is that for some reason God doesn't show up the way you thought he would show up. You might look a little stupid. There's people who so fear looking stupid, they never give God a chance in their lives. They always take things into their own hands, into their own ability. Now, you want to be smart. You don't want to be stupid. You don't want things that put you, you know, at risk and stuff. But there is a risk element to faith. And, you know, depending on what you're going through, I mean, this can play out in a gazillion different ways. You know, uh, to put it into contemporary terms for, for our church and what we've gone through, you know, uh, recent times, you know, with the last you know, month and a half, having to make budget cuts and stuff like that. Uh, one of the attacks that I've gotten, and by the way, you should see my office is full of cards and letters and my inbox is full of cards of, of people like you who have done nothing but say, I am with you. We're trusting God. We're believing God. This is going to be fabulous. So, so when I tell you I've gotten some, I, seriously, it's, it's a very, very small percent. You can count on one hand the things that I've gotten. It's not been that many, but if I'm just, some of them just nasty as rattlesnakes. And one of the knocks I got said, why did you, why did, why did you wait till now? If you knew we were going to be running a bunch, why did you wait till now before you start dealing with the problem? It's called faith. It's called waiting and seeing what God will do. My staff came to me in September and said, wow, the things way ahead, things are headed. We're going to have to make some cuts or we're going to be in trouble. Why do we do? See, a lot of people right then and there would have said, 
You need to rally the forces. You need to cut everything. You need to pull back. You need to hold on. And even some of my staff were like, man, we need to just hold on. How about we pray? Somebody say amen. How about we trust God? Let's see what God will do. It's called faith. It's called giving God the opportunity to show up. See, it's easy for me to preach this up. But if I don't live this, then what good is it? I live it in my personal life. I live it as, as, as the leader of this organization. I said, we are going to give an opportunity. We're having this, you know, fundraiser in six weeks. Let's see what God does. Let's just see what God does. We don't know. How about instead of just freaking and panicking? Now, so, yeah, but, 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 but even still, we will not die. We will be fine. No one was saying risk the organization. No one was saying we're all going to die. Let's do something stupid and foolish. Let's wait and see what God does. Well, God shows up. We had a glorious meeting. It was fabulous. It was wonderful. And we had a great offering. It wasn't the miracle we'd all hoped for. Well, I didn't just go get depressed and hang myself out in the backyard. I said, okay, now. Now we need to make it. You have to understand. By the time I came to you and said, it is time to make cuts, we owed nobody anything. Every bill was paid, other than the mortgage, but that was up to date. We weren't behind on anything, line of credit, nothing. We were solidly in the black. It was just, and but the static I got. Why did you wait so long? Because I thought I don't know where people. How about we wait on God for a minute? Are you hearing me? Now, if you want the kind of organization, the minute something starts going a little bit south, everybody just panics and does the most conservative possible thing, and let's not have to worry about trusting God, you got the wrong boy. Are you hearing me? Because I'm going to stretch it a little bit. I'm going to see what God might do. Because God does miracles. A lot of times, God doesn't do miracles with people. They don't wait. They don't even give God a chance. They're off trying to take everything in their own hands, and they're just freaking and panicking. <laughs> Well, how's that working for you? you want to live? I don't want to live like that. I've got so many miracles in my life. I've got more, my wife and I have experienced more miracles than anybody I have ever met. I am not kidding. We have a disproportionate degree of miracles. Probably because I am disproportionately stupid. <laughs> and have put myself in some of the dumbest situations on earth where I needed a miracle. God said, oh, there he goes again. Good heavens, what is the matter with that man? Somebody go pull him out. But it's been, it's been life-changing to me. It's been powerful. It's been energizing. I've learned to trust God. Now, does that mean every time I pray, I get what I want? No. No, I've got all kinds of stories where I prayed and nothing happened. Then what did you do? I hopped in my chair and took off. <laughs> you know, it's okay. But let's not panic. Let's not freak because we stretch a little. Let's trust God. Let's see what God can do. Again, fine line between faith and stupid. I think we rode the line pretty tight. Uh, we didn't do anything stupid. We eventually had to make the cuts. In the end, I believe this is going to be better for us than ever. Because of what God is doing in our lives. In the way we're going to be able to move forward. And I am so excited about the future. Was it painful? Was it difficult? Of course. But it wasn't that God had abandoned anyone. It wasn't that anyone's being irresponsible. It's called faith. Let's 
pray. Let's trust God. Before anybody, how about we not panic? How about our first response to something isn't, <laughs> I mean, seriously, this is your first response, complete panic and undoing? No. Oh, actually, I allow myself a little bit of that. I must admit. I give myself 48 hours to freak out about anything. But I refuse to stay there. I never stay there. I pull myself out. No! I will not panic. I will not be afraid. I will not go out. If I'm going to die, I'm dying with a smile on my face. (laughs) Hallelujah! I'm going to trust God. Well, Pastor, what if you die? Well, you better trust God if you're dying. I mean, seriously, do you want to be caught dead not trusting God? That's not good. Well, can you guarantee? No, you can't guarantee anything. You know what God is doing? Things, oftentimes he does things that are a mystery and things look different. And then later you find out, oh, that's why. Ever have that in your life? Ever have that in your life? When all of a sudden something didn't go the way it was. And then all of a sudden you go, whoa, hallelujah. Thank God God didn't answer my prayer. Some of you can think of that as the first person you dated. <laughs> Thank God God didn't answer that prayer. <laughs> God turned out to be a lunatic. At the time you might have been heartbroken. You know what? God knows better. Somebody say amen. Don't freak out. You got to keep going back. Go back. Give it a little bit of time. Now, if he hit seven times, still nothing, you know. I'd have gotten down from the mountain. It's all right. But people cry, why are we up that mountain so long? Awesome, you wasted time. You're up there for seven. Why do you keep rocking him back and forth? You're wasting his time, friend. Why are you doing that? It's called waiting on God. Hallelujah. Anyway, verse 1 of chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Remember Jezebel. She's a real sweetheart. She's a nasty, nasty lady. So he comes back and says how oh, Elijah had done this and he had called down the power of God and, and people were down worshiping and, and the rain has come and it's filled water. Life is coming back to the land and he killed all the prophets with the sword. What's Jezebel's response? She sends a messenger to Elijah and says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, I am going to kill you. I am going to kill you. Now, I find it fascinating. I mean, this woman's really nasty. You would think everybody would be praising God, right? Power of God shows up. People are worshiping things. The great water shows up. God's doing miracles. Some people are just staying in a nasty place no matter what happens. Nasty. They can't see anything. This woman was one wicked woman. So she sends a messenger to tell Elijah, I'm going to kill you. Now, why bother? Why not just show up and kill him? Right? I mean, if I'm going to kill you, which I won't do. But if I'm going to kill you, I probably am not going to let you know in advance so you can get away. I'm just going to show up and, hi, kill you. Again, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Why doesn't she just show up? I I tell you why, because the devil loves to mess with your head. He loves to mess with your head. And if he can mess with your head and get you to lose faith, see, she probably knew you can't show up with this prophet. This prophet, man, this guy, whatever he says, just boom, stuff happens. 
I'm not going to go mess with this guy. But if I can fill him with fear, discouragement, rob him of his confidence, now I got him, you see. A lot of you guys spend tons of time worrying about things that will never happen to you. Some of you spent unbelievable hours and hours and hours worrying about things that never ever took place. Satan is filling your head with fear and paranoia and stuff. Why? So it can sap you of your spiritual strength and can show up and make your life a living hell. He's got to mess with your head first, pull you out of a place of faith. Did it work with Elijah? Yeah, it did. Verse 3, check this out. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left a servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Here is a man so full of the power of God. Seeing and experiencing miracles that you and I pay big money to see. Just did stuff like, wow, ran, outran a chariot all the way back to town. But Jezebel got into his head, see. And what happens? He's depressed. He goes back. He's running away. Sits under a tree and prays, God, I just want to die how do you go from the glory of Mount Carmel to wishing you were dead you let Jezebel mess with your head we'll talk more about this when we continue next week there that's for the video guys okay now because the other campuses will get this delayed next week uh, as you know, we've been making it possible so that people could ask questions. Because a lot of people were saying, gee, I love the Bible study, but I got so many questions I don't get to ask. So now's your chance to ask questions. I guess you guys were getting high-tech texting and all that kind of stuff. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, I don't care. Just yell at me. <laughs> Who's got a question about anything? About Where did I get my shirt? <laughs> Do you like this? I don't know where I got it. I'm pretty sure I didn't buy it. (laughs) Either the redhead or my son-in-law, Ross. He's kind of the hip dresser, you know. So I take Ross shopping with me when I got to go buy stuff. Anyway. Okay, now uh, the relevant question. (laughs) Yes, sir. Was he a manic depressed? You know, there's people who actually have said that, you know. Uh, but I don't see any evidence of that. I mean, he'd been a prophet for a while. There was no evidence for at least the three years that we've been following him in the story that he was ever up or down or anything like that. Um, he was pretty happy. You remember, he's hanging out where the, uh, uh, the birds are bringing him bread and water and everything's right and he's got to go to this change oh i gotta leave i change and he goes to the widow and takes care of the widow and raises the widow's son from the dead and life is good man he's just chilling makes this big showdown at the okay corral with these false prophets i mean that if you know if, if you could pick a few moments in time to go back i'd pick two one would be when jesus called lazarus 
out of the grave. Because that, that had to be cool. If I'd have been there, you know, it put me in the grave next because I just sort of died right on the spot. You know, <laughs> dead guy comes hopping out. Ee, 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 ah! You know, I'm dead. Put me in next. I would have loved to have seen that. The other one is this one. Now, some people like this, this Red Sea spot. This, I'd like to have seen this one. This had to be cool because he was such an in-your-face prophet. You know, he was so obnoxious. I loved it. You know, and making fun of the other guys. And all of a sudden, boom, and running, sticking in your coat and taking off and beating the chariot. That had to be cool. I mean, I, I just think it's fabulous. So, I mean, the greatest experience of his life, but then somehow she sends a message, I'm going to kill you, and it gets to him. And he goes and he lays down to die. I don't want to get ahead of the story because God deals with him about this in a pretty fascinating way which we'll see next next Wednesday night but yeah you know this whole thing about getting into your head how many of you know the devil will mess with your head you know and, and certainly has messed with my head especially through all the stuff that we've gone through you don't think there were days where I just wanted to quit of course feeling oh man maybe I was, should have done this maybe they're right maybe all the people criticizing me is right maybe I am evil <laughs> Man, seriously, moments I just wanted to sit down and cry under a tree. I kid you not. I'm, and it's so foreign to me because I'm never like that. These last six weeks, I'm not looking for pity from anybody. I'm just saying that these last six weeks have been some of the hardest weeks of my life. Almost bar none. It has been quite challenging. And some of my greatest critics were telling me, you know, you have no business pastor. You shouldn't even be a pastor. Well, at some point, that Jezebel gets in your head. You know, and I'm thinking, why am I pastoring? It's not for the money. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what, what, what evil motive am I driven by? Great power? Power over what? You know, I'm here because I love you people. I'm here because I love doing this. I love connecting with people. I love giving to others what God has given me. I love being part of this. I love the vision that we have, the dream that we have for the future. We're just getting started. When we start really being what God has called us to be, I think we are going to have so much fun. It should be illegal. But you've got to stop and you've got to say no to those thoughts. No. 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 And if you just stand firm, you become victorious. I mean, one of the reasons that people, the devil attacks some people is because we're such easy targets. People get bummed out about everything. You talk to people like this, they're constantly under attack. I'm always under attack. Oh, the devil's always got me. I'm always under the devil's attack. I always say, well, how come I'm not always under attack? Because the devil knows it's kind of a waste of his time. Seriously, I'm too dumb to get it after a while. He just, this idiot, I have tried everything and he keeps smiling. I've had it. You know, he leaves me alone. He goes after people who can be easily influenced, easily overwhelmed, da, 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 and then he chases them around. So, man, I refuse that. The message on this brain is go away. All right? Satan, go away. Push back those thoughts. But I promise you, he will weaken the strongest prophet in the world. If he can get into your head, get you to start fearing, being afraid, doubting, 
Oh, does God really care about me? God can't possibly care about me. You know, people, you think like that sometimes, right? Why would you think that way? Because if I was God, I wouldn't care about me either. God can't possibly like me. I know me. You know, oftentimes we think that the only way to get miracles in your life is you've got to be really holy, right? And if you look in the mirror, you know that ain't happening. I ain't holy enough for a miracle, therefore God can't... I got good news for you. You don't have to be holy to have a miracle. You just got to be in a place of faith. I love reading the book of Acts because some of the coolest miracles happen to people who didn't even believe in Jesus at all. Seriously. Dead people who weren't even saved before they died got raised from the dead. That had to be a shocker. (laughs) What am I doing back here? Who are you people? They'd often pray for people and watch God's grace and healing power transform them and heal them and deliver them and set them free before they got saved. Then they got saved. So this idea that you have to be holy before God will show up is a lie from who? Jezebel. His name's devil. You see? We got to guard. The Bible says be careful about what you think. Because you don't want this to happen to you. You can have the greatest experience in life, but if you let the devil get in your head, discourage you, rob you of your joy, rob you of your confidence, now he can take you out. That's what we got to watch out for. Anybody else? Yes. Uh, why did he kill all those people? In the Old Testament, uh, there was a whole lot of killing going on. And God actually told them to kill these people. Now it's hard for us in our post-modern uh, world after 2,000 years since Jesus came and, and love and righteousness and grace and all the stuff that we know today. Before that, the only thing that seemed to get through to people's heads at all or got, got people's attention was sadly a very strong violent hand. And God would send, uh, for example, the Israelites to go in and they'd have, have a war and they'd kill all kinds of people. Why? When you look at it, they were unbelievably wicked people. I mean, we're talking people, you know, it was God telling them this. God wouldn't send somebody to kill somebody who's a pretty decent guy. You know, these guys were really, really, and I I think we have a hard time relating to how nasty they are. You know, has anybody, I don't know how many of you guys watch movies and stuff like that, but this movie that uh, uh, Mel, what's his name, Gibson, uh, he produced, he wasn't in it, but it was of... South, South American uh, Apocalypto. You, you see this thing? Okay. Now, um, anybody see this movie? Anybody else see this? Okay. So you guys have seen it. If, if you want a dose of reality, just kind of get a picture of it. Rent this movie once and see it. Because when you hear about the, the Mayan culture and stuff like that and how the missionaries showed up and they destroyed this wonderful creative culture and the world has been robbed of this. Gibson actually shows what this culture was like. It is, you don't want to run it by the way if you're highly disturbed by violence. They were wicked like you cannot believe. I think our modern mind can't even begin to relate to the violence and the nastiness of how they tortured people, how they would sacrifice live people to, to, uh, to their gods, the bloodthirstiness, the cruelty. He does it in a way that just, it'll give you nightmares for, but, but the amazing thing about it, when you get done reading that, you don't start thinking, oh, those poor Mayans. You think, thank God the Spaniards showed up and killed a whole bunch of them and, and took control of it. You know what I'm saying? When you start really getting the picture of how evil these people were, then I think, 
it, there's less of a mental problem with it. And again, this is before grace. This is before Jesus teaching about forgiveness and stuff. Uh, and you have to remember, before God started using a real strong hand to get into people's faces, and he pretty much said to uh, mankind, look, if you'll just do the right thing, you'll be okay. Remember, God comes along, and there's really no laws at this point. He says, look, if you just do what's right and follow your conscience. You know how many people say, well, if everybody just lived by a conscience, what a great world this would be? You've probably heard thoughts like this, right? Or seen that? Do you remember what happened? The world became so wicked, God had to kill everybody. And he sends this cataclysmic flood. That's how bad it got when God just said, okay, just be nice. <laughs> That's basically, just be nice. If you just be nice, be nice, it'll be all right, okay? It wasn't all right. That's the power of the sinful nature. When there is no restraint, when there's no uh, discipline for what you do wrong and stuff like that, they so corrupted themselves, it became so awful, God could only find one guy and his family. On the whole face of the earth, one, his name was Noah. Told him to build an ark. Builds the ark, floods, wipes out the whole thing. But then after that, you see that laws start coming in and it starts getting more serious and God starts showing up and starts bringing judgment on these people. Not because God was bloodthirsty, but, but as particularly in thousands of years ago, the world was so violent. The only thing they understood was this very strong hand. I don't know if this is helping at all, but that's why when, when he killed these guys, these weren't nice guys. These were nasty, wicked, violent, morally depraved men who weren't about to change their hearts because they saw fire fall from heaven. He wiped them out, as God told them to. Yes, sir? How important is it to share your burdens when you are under attack with, with brothers and sisters in Christ? I think it's extremely important. Uh, the Bible said we should bear one, another, one another's burdens. You know, don't try to do everything by yourself. That's something else I've learned. Talk to people. Ask for prayer. Ask for help. Say, man, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Would you pray for me? You know, and you know, it's so wonderful in this wonderful church and so many of you. At, at times when I should have just been so discouraged and stuff, all of a sudden I would just feel such encouragement out of nowhere. And the next day someone came to me and says, you know what? I was really praying for you yesterday. I know. <laughs> it was cool, you know. Now, unless God's impressing other people to pray for you, don't just wait for that. Impress other people yourself. Say, hello, I need some help. I need some encouragement. And because sometimes people will come and, and they'll say, once you share what you're going through, because I have people do this to me. They'll say to me, man, I am just going through this horrible situation. And I go, really? I went through that once. I went through that once. Let me show you what God taught me in this. And you just start speaking words of life. The Bible says we should encourage one another. But if we have this mentality that everyone's an island and we should all just live on the island and everybody should just handle their own problems. Anybody ever think like that? You know, then you're, then you're doomed. Couples do this all the time. We're famous in this nation, Western culture. Once you're married, it's your business. You and your wife are just your business. No, so nobody actually knows your business because it's your business. It's our business. We're just going to stay on this island, just the two of us will try and work it out. Yeah, you do that, you're turning into cannibals. You start eating each other. <laughs> Get off the island for heaven's sakes. Talk to other people. Get other couples involved in your life. Work things out. It's so healthy. 
Why? Because couples, we, we do the crazy. We fight about the stupidest things on earth. Well, maybe not, maybe not you. Maybe it's just me and Deb. <laughs> we argue over the dumbest things on earth. And it was just the two of us. It tends to spiral out of control. Why? Because we're on the island and we're out trying to outwit outlast. <laughs> trying to vote the other guy off. He won't eat. So we start turning into animals. We start eating each other. Tell myself, you know what the dumb argument we just had the other day? How many cups are in the communion tray? <laughs> I'll tell you who cares. Because I'll pick on you guys because you're a little bit more mature than the rest of the people who come on Sunday morning who just, you know, they kind of check in and check out. A lot of them do. They don't come with an attitude of let's serve. They come with an attitude of serve me. Okay, so I was getting all kinds of complaints because in the second service, we're trying to readapt to the second service because we had to close down that campus, you know, over there. Have you been here on the second service? It's packed out. Okay, there's so many people here. So we're trying to work out the community thing. And some people started complaining because, well, I wanted wine. I didn't get wine or I wanted grape juice. I didn't want to. I got I didn't get the flavor I wanted. (laughs) Now, my wife, Miss Compassion, says, well, we really should help those people. I'm thinking. I want to strangle those people. <laughs> so this is good for us. We kind of pull on each other and somewhere get in the middle. I want to slap them. She wants to put her arms around. Oh, please don't cry. <laughs> so you didn't get your flavor. Get a life. All right. Just give it to the next time. Wait till next Sunday. You know, we'll do this again next week. <laughs> right. We'll do it again next week. She said, so anyway, the complaint was someone wasn't getting enough grape juice. She said, well, why don't you do, instead of the outside ring, do the two outside rings with more grape juice? I say, you do that, then it becomes disproportionately grape juice because it's balanced this way, even though there's more rolls. She said, but there's more rolls. I said, yeah, but they're tiny rolls. Eat, eat, eat. Then you got that, whoa. <laughs> We're in a Mexican restaurant having this stupid argument. <laughs> Just... Back and forth. So we have this argument in front of a couple of people. It was, then it's funny. Right? Now we're laughing. She's crazy. He's crazy. She's crazy. But you got the other people. You're bouncing off them. You know, they're both sitting there. Just keep going. We're enjoying this. You know, that, <laughs> they weren't helpful, by the way. But, uh, uh, you know, but just not doing everything, you know, our own little private business. This helps to do it, get other people involved. Seriously, take some of your stupidest arguments and take it to another couple. It's amazing how stupid it sounds. You know, at home, you know, the temperature, this is serious, this is life and death stuff. It's got to be 68, no, it's 69, it's got to be 68, it's got to be 69. Stupid argument at home, it's like, this is life and death. Until you tell somebody else your stupid argument. Then you go, I want, I yeah, I guess that's stupid. You know, then, sometimes, sometimes you don't even need input coming back in. So the, what's that? <laughs> hey, check it out. Check it out. So the redhead, I'm going to count them. I'm going to count them. Okay, you count them. So she counts, of course, she doesn't say anything. <laughs> I don't hear anything from her about to count until the two people we were with ask her. 
hey, did, did you ever count the thing? She goes, yeah, he was right. <laughs> you know, normally I can't hear my wife talk. You know what I'm saying? I'm on the other side of the room. She says, yeah, he was like, what? What was that? Hello? Did I hear something? I, I believe I heard my wife talking. She says, yes, I counted. The outside ring is exactly the half of all the other ones put together. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, but it helps. Seriously, life helps when you get other people involved. You know, not just your marriage, but even your personal, your personal struggles. God didn't intend you just to carry all this by yourself. It's not like God says, I'm going to put this on and you're going to go through this trial and test and don't anybody help this guy. If anything, he wants us to learn not to just depend on our own strength and help. And let's face it, it's a little humiliating to need, or not humiliating, but it's a humbling. God doesn't humiliate, he humbles, so that'll do. It's a little humbling to ask for help. So you know what, I'm not nearly as smart as I thought. I'm not as strong as I hoped. I don't have as many answers as I thought I'd have. Will you pray with me? Will you help me? And, and that's a positive thing. Yes, ma'am. That's right, we're all family. You know we're all the crazy uncle that's locked in the basement. <laughs> no, but we are all family. And actually, well, that's what we're trying to foster. We're trying to get more of a sense of that. We say it. I don't think we really believe it yet here. But that's okay. It's got to start here. So we're started here. We got to get this to where we really, it becomes real to us. Where we literally look at each other as, you know, we're family. There's family. There's family. There's a, hey, I got a problem. Can you help me? Can we encourage one another? Can we strengthen one another? Can we help each other? We're going to get there. Because we're going to really focus on that. We've got a few more minutes. Uh, anybody else? No other questions about the subject? We're all good? Everybody's good? Oh. Where's my wife, he said. I ate her. She, is she here? She is. She's real quiet in the back. There she is. <laughs> Listen, someone the other day said, because I shared the story again, say, you're just gloating. I says, dude, when you're right as few as I am, you gloat on a few times you're right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, right now the scoreboard coach is like 40,000 to, you know, six. You know, that's, that's, that's my deal. So, anyway. But she still loves me. Yeah, she does. <laughs> Where's my wife? Uh, anybody else? It came from dark. You bought the shirt? I can't see you. You're way in the dark. Back with the back sliders in the back. There. Okay, yes. Target, really? <laughs> Apparently, I can't get my head between my knees, though. <laughs> I don't know if you missed that exercise earlier. It was not going well. But, uh, whoa. <laughs> I know my knees are about this far away from me. Hello, hello. I, I, I could not pull off the Elijah thing. Yeah. How do you respond to someone who's close to you who says you're in a cult because you come to a church like this? 
<laughs> hey, yes, I am. I'm brainwashed. I can't help it. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think he just, as nicely as you can, say, no, I'm not. I'm, I have free will. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to give them any money. Uh, they don't know my social security number. You know, I don't have to check with my pastor before. You know, someone, again, some of those attacks lately, you know, I'm guilty of. Spiritual abuse. I abuse people spiritually. I abuse people spiritually. And they quote from some book. But you read the rest of the book. It's talking about people who you have to go to the pastor to get permission to do anything. Before you can buy property, you've got to get permission from your pastor. Before you can sell property, you've got to get permission from your pastor. Before you can go on a trip or a vacation, you've got to get permission from your pastor. Before you, can, before you can marry anybody, your pastor has okay. Before you can, you know, that's, a, you know, we're not anything like this. You know, how I'm guilty of spiritual abuse compared to that, like, good grief. Motivates you to want to abuse some people, but but we don't. You know that that's a that's a cult, a cult where they brainwash you and say no, I can go, I cannot go, no one checks on me. You know that kind of thing. Uh, but you know, is it what are they from a Lutheran or Catholic family or something like that? What's that? Catholic. Well, you got to understand. To real hardcore Catholics, I was, how many were raised hardcore Catholics? I was raised hardcore. Okay, yeah, whole bunch of you. Okay, yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> I should have blessed you all before we began. I'm so sorry. It's not, a, it's not a slam on them. It's just that to a real hardcore Catholic, anything other than a Catholic church is a cult. I mean, you go to anything other than a Catholic church, you're going to hell. I always thought the nuns told me, man, don't you dare even walk in another church. I was scared to death. First time I walked in a, you know, a non-Catholic church, like, it's a little creepy. You know what I'm saying? You know, I was a serious Catholic for a long time, you know. I'd, I'd actually I'd go into a movie theater, and I'd get to my row, and I'd want to, you know, generally before I went in, you know, I just, <laughs> you know, you got to stop and say, whoa, wait a minute. It's, it's just a theater, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, if, if that's what it is, then it, it just is what it is. I would just smile and say, no, no, it's not. You know, it's not Catholic. We get it. But uh, we, we don't think everybody has to be Catholic, you know, that kind of thing. So, Anybody else? My dad, he's, he's doing better. He really is. He's, he's, uh, he's asking the weirdest questions. It's got nothing to do with the Bible study. <laughs> but it's okay. We're family. We all get to go know each other. Uh, my, da- my dad's doing real well. He's got dementia. And, uh, and for a while it was getting real nasty. You know? But he seems to be doing really great lately. You know? So I appreciate the prayers and stuff. He still doesn't know who I am. You know, most of us. But he kind of recognizes me now. I go, oh, you're my friend. You know? So that's cool. You know, it's, it's kind of a weird thing if you've ever had parents who've, who've gone through that kind of stuff. It's, it's heartbreaking and hilarious at the same time. It really is. You know, I mean, maybe it's God's way of, you know, making you through it or something because they are a scream. They say the goofiest things that make no sense at all. And you just really just laugh your butt off, you know, and you have a conversation with them. And two minutes later, you're having the exact same conversation. You know, this is great. You ever get there? You're, 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 you're busy all day. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know, so and then sad at the same time, you know. So it is funny. But thank you for asking, Bill. You can ask the question. Come on, man up, man, man up.
Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like this one here. Let, let me share something with, with the whole thing about sharing your faith. Uh, people don't really listen to what you say. They really, that's not what affects them. It's the way you live. When you really live. When I was, people first started coming to me, talking to me about Jesus, I was so mean, nasty, insulting, Attacking, you don't know what you're talking about. You're still rah, rah, cursing that about this. How it is. But the whole time I'm doing this, I'm looking at their faces and they just glowed like light bulbs. And I would just yell, you stupid boy. And then I'd walk away going, Oh, I just know they're right. I just know they're right. You know, I don't know. What am I going to do? This can't possibly be right. I get around them again. You bunch of idiots, you moron. But you kept watching their lives and their lives screamed at you. In fact, the guy who, who brought me to the Lord finally, he didn't know what he's talking about. I remember he opened up the Bible and just rattled like an idiot. Now, I didn't know that at the time. But it wasn't until after I became a Christian I read the Bible I thought, he's an idiot. That's it. I mean, he was making something. But yet it changed my life. Why? It wasn't what he was saying. It says as he was saying whatever he was saying, even though it was biblically, grossly inaccurate. The presence of God was on that boy. And he came down, and I'm in a dark basement smoking marijuana. I know that breaks your image of me as the perfect man. But yes, I sat there just (laughs) puffing my little brains out. (laughs) And it's dark, and the music, and everything in this guy. And all I remember is his face was so bright. It was so bright. I'm I'm telling you, it was a spiritual thing. That's the only thing I know. Then at some point, all I heard him saying was blah, 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 blah. I didn't hear a word he said. And suddenly, it was like I could see Jesus dying on a cross for me. And I just started crying. I mean, here I am giving him a hard time and cursing at him and getting you a bunch of hypocrites and stuff like that. He's talking to me so nice. And then I finally interrupted him. Will you pray with me? He said, no, I'm not done yet. And he kept going. I kid two or three times I had to tell the guy to shut up, pray with me. So just let me encourage you guys that you're around these people and you think, well, what do I say? What do I say? It's not so important exactly what you say, whatever argument, you know. But the way you live your life and the way you respond to them and they watch you when things are going really nasty and they see how you react to them and when they're being mean to you and stuff like that. And just let the Spirit of God touch them. You cannot convince people of their sins by your own words. Jesus has to do it. God has to do it. And when God does it by the Holy you guys remember the first time all of a sudden something dawns on you and, 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 and God becomes real to you? Maybe you're sitting in a church, maybe you're in a basement smoking dope, maybe you're on the job. I mean, some people are in there, you hear stories, they're in the shopping center and they're pushing their cart and all of a sudden they start crying. Oh my God. I mean, at some point, it just becomes real to you. That's God making himself real to you. And what we need to do is pray for people that God will do that in their lives. So, all right, one more question. Yes, ma'am. She says, a conference just said, peop, they say people only hear 7% of, you, of what you say. I laugh because I'm a pastor and I know that's a fact. <laughs> 7% on a good Sunday, you know. <laughs> 
But the rest of what you said is body language and the way that... I was 16 years old. 15, 16, somewhere in like that. Yeah. Like about six years ago. <laughs> All right, shut up. <laughs> All right, time's up. God bless you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Our... Wait a minute. We're supposed to take an offering, aren't we? Oh, do that. Yeah. Yeah. But budget cuts. Let's not take offerings now. There's a smart plan. <laughs> times are hard. Let's pass on the offerings. We don't want to do that anymore. I should have taken the offering. I'm so sorry. I got too caught up in talking. All right. Let's pray for the offering. Father, thank you for these offerings. Thank you for the faithful support of your people that allow us to do what we can do to advance your kingdom. Bless them all, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.